science. Uh, it's uh, great to be with you again uh, this Monday afternoon for an hour of science chat. And great to be with you, Andrew, again, oh, it's of always course. A pleasure. It's, always. Always, it's always a pleasure for anybody to spend an hour in your company. Oh, that's very kind. But after the hour, you know, it begins yeah, yeah, to it pour a bit. Drag a bit. I know, yeah. I know. We've got guests. We have Don't got guests. Don't be too rude to be one no, of that's guests. No, <laughs> sorry, yes. Witnesses. Because <laughs> <laughs> the listener never, ever tells no. what I do. No. But guests, we have to watch out for them. <laughs> it's a great pleasure to have... Uh, We've got a pint of science, so you, you perhaps you can imagine uh, representatives, let's say. It's not the entirety of pint of science, because that's ridiculous. There are lots of those. Uh, but you represent pint of science, which is uh, uh, happening in Bristol. And if you're wondering what is pint of science, you, you imagine some very big, burly blokes with pints of beer in their hands. Well, they aren't like that at all. Uh, we've got... Uh, I am. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, uh, but we've, we've got uh, Jamie uh, Thakra. Hello. Hello. And we've got Sharon Hook. Hello. Hi, Sharon. And Hannah uh, Isotelos. Have yeah. I said... Or Isotelos. 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 Hello. And, and that's Greek, I take it. Uh, it's Finnish. It's Finnish. Good grief. <laughs> so, oh, I was, I, was, I was wildly wrong to start with. Um, uh, and it's such a pleasure to have all three of you in the studio. And uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, pint of science and, and what that means um but first of all let me get so andrew i didn't see you last week no because you did a very good show thank, thank you, you very much well it was it was it, it was a bit of a struggle without you to be honest well of course um, i can understand but it, i had some lovely guests in we had uh, <laughs> we had uh, Stephen maddie oh uh, yes uh, yeah they, they were great we talked about a lot of, th- I, a lot what of worries me about Stephen maddie never come in when i'm here no i they hate me um they don't they don't it's, like me very much. Uh, it's not to do with you. It's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's actually not to do with you. It's to do with my complete lack of self-confidence. So when you're not here, I need to surround myself with talented oh, people. Oh, what, 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 what a nice explanation. But thank you. Thank you very much. Very nice show. Uh, Jamie was saying to me, you heard it, didn't you, just Yes, before? I did. And Maddie's yeah. actually on the Pint of Science Committee as well. Um, and so she said, I'm not going to come back two weeks in a row. So it wasn't wasn't to do with you, Malcolm. Oh, Ma- Maddie, <laughs> if you're no, listening, right. you're welcome any time. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm really not so delicate, honestly. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm, 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 I'm making it up. But, um, so let's, let's, talk, let's talk about Pint of, of, of Science, for, first of all. Jamie, what, what is it? What is it? What is this? It's a, it's, a, it's a nationwide thing, isn't it? It is. Um, it's actually international now. So Pint of Science is a festival started five years ago by two people in Cambridge, um, Praveen and Michael. And they wanted to spread science to the local people in a friendly and casual environment, such as the pub or a local cafes. Um, This sounds suspicious to me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this year, actually, uh, Bristol is one of a hundred cities across the world participating in Pint of Science um, on the 15th to the 17th of May for three days. So, now, is it always the same? 15th, 17th of May, it's always those days? No, no, it's usually three dates in May, but that varies from from year to year. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. So it's an annual event, but they pick three days around, around about that time exactly. yeah 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 and and um 
Is this, so presumably it's something which has grown quite a bit over the last few years? It really has. I mean, it's become quite a phenomenon. Like, it's running in um, 20 different countries as well, so it's, it's really, really big. Um, so, so give us an idea, then, of if we went to a pub... We saw, we saw an advert outside a pub, says Pint of Science, or presumably on a website as well, which we can talk about uh, later... Uh, and I think, right, I'll go to that. You turn up in the pub. What happens to you? you know, can you sit and have a quiet pint, or are you, you know, are scientists doing uh, stand-up routines? Yeah, so Pint of Science is a, it's a ticketed event, so um, when you do go on the website, you've got a series of talks to choose from, um, and we're running in eight venues this year, um, each of whom are hosting three nights, which is going to be excellent. Um, and so there's lots and lots of different talks to choose from, 2024. <laughs> um, and um you'll have a good idea about what's what's going to be spoken about so there'll be a speaker who'll be a specialist on their subject who'll tell you about what it is that's being spoken about and Sharon and Hannah will give you some examples of some of the events yeah. um that we're running a bit later on and um it's really nice um you do lo- learn lots of science, but there's lots of time for drinking. There's lots of time for, <laughs> for for your pints as well. And a lot of the pubs are hosting special pub quizzes and activities, and some are even offering live experiments um, during the night. Oh right, so you you can watch people sort of uh, do science, make it yes, <laughs> making making things smoke or go bang maybe or. That's a surprise. That's a surprise. <laughs> Whatever it is, it goes. On. Okay, now. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to get some some kind of make this a bit more concrete and get some examples. So, um, Sharon, you're, but let's just talk about you for a second. I, I've missed, <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll go back to Jamie in a little bit. You're you're a biochemist. I am a biochemist. Uh, yeah. So I work up at um, Bristol University doing research. Um, oh. So we work on diabetes in our group. Right. Okay. And. and uh, like all research into illnesses of various sorts, I go, you're trying to find the cure. Um, we're quite a long way before that, so it, eventually, hopefully, one day there will be a cure, but it's more like basic research, so what happens if you have diabetes, what's actually going on inside yeah. your body, so what, we're not what, directly looking for a cure. What bit of it are you currently interested in? What bit of the process of so diabetes? We're, we're looking at, um, so if you have diabetes, you, you're insulin resistant, um, so I think most people will yeah. know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, if your muscles contract, then you can make sugar go from your blood into your muscles as well. So it does okay. a similar job to what insulin does. Right. So we're looking if you could artificially stimulate that. Yeah, pathway. make that happen uh, yeah. as, as a way if of... you solve the, the sugar yeah. problem in your blood yeah, yeah. that way instead. Ah, oh, fascinating. And what um, can you give us an example of the sort of thing that we would actually see at a, a Pint of Science event? Yeah, so one of the nights that I'm running this year, um, it's on. It's one of the Planet Earth nights, yeah. and it's about what, uh, where's your next meal coming from? So yeah. it's about the future of our food. So like one of the least sustainable sources of food we have at the moment is cattle. So we have um, yeah. Professor Michael Lee's coming in to talk about a future like a sustainable livestock. Is he a local future. Bristol professor? Yeah, he works at Bristol University. Yeah. Um, we've also got a lady coming in to talk to us about wasps. Um, so you know the our favorite pest of the summer (laughs) and um (laughs) so but actually they could be really useful so um she's researching them as a possible pesticide 
um, yes. alternative and they could have a, yes. a role in saving the bees. Well, of course, pe- people do control crops, don't they, with, yeah. uh, with things like wasps. Yeah, and then okay. we've got a third speaker talking about genetically modified wheat. Ah. So sort of covering a whole range of food okay. sources. So, so we'd, we'd basically listen to a speaker. And do we get the chance to ask the speaker questions yeah, and that so sort the, of thing? The idea will be each talk will be quite short, so 20, 20 minutes or so, um, to give them an idea of what, what they do. And they might have a quiz or something in that. And then there'll be a break in between each speaker for you to go and have a chat with them, get another pint, if you will. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's plenty of opportunity to talk with the speakers if you're, if you're really interested in what they've been speaking about. Sure. Okay. And um, uh, Hannah. Hello. Hello again. Uh, (laughs) Can you give us an example, something that particularly interests you that Pint of Science does? Um, So this year, actually with um, Maddie and Steve, um, I'm organising some events at the Good Good Chemistry Brewery. And one of our evenings is going to be on ultra-haptics. So that's a... Bristol-based company, and we have uh, their founder, Tom Carter, uh, coming to talk to us. And um, what they do is that they... uh use ultrasound to project sensation onto skin. So this can be used in a um, range of things from, um, from virtual realities to uh, household appliances. And they're going to talk us through the technology they're using. And um, to my understanding, it's going to be quite interactive. So I'm really looking forward to this night. And hap- haptics are to... I know it's the name of a company, but haptics is to do with touch, isn't it? To, to do with touch. Yeah. So they use ultrasound um, to project a sensation of touch. So yeah. um, they will have invisible objects that um, you can touch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... It, that all sounds absolutely fascinating. So I'm in. And uh, just tell us, when, when is this going to happen again? We need to just, just tell us. So I know you reeled off the dates, but we have to do it again because uh, it, it goes immediately out of our minds. It'll be from the 15th to the 17th of May. So if and I, tickets have gone on sale today. Right. OK. How much do tickets cost? They're £4 each. OK. And website? And the website is pintofscience.co.uk forward slash events forward slash Bristol. Uh, Jamie, you're a neuroscientist, aren't you? Yes, I Which am. It, now, neuroscience, neuroscience is the big exciting thing, isn't it? It used to be particle physics, and now it's neuroscience, I'm told on, on good authority, that that's the place to be. It's where it's all happening. Is that true? It is very exciting. I mean, neuroscience is a, it's a field that's kind of blown up over the last couple of years, um, and we're getting lots of lots of really um, great funding from lots of charities. Um, so I specifically study stress um, yeah. and I'm, I'm funded Oh, we've got by a lot the, to talk to you about. Exactly. I'm funded <laughs> by the Wellcome Trust for that. Um, which um, So I'm looking at how stress actually affects overall brain dynamics in adults um, and that's an fMRI study which is functional magnetic resonance yeah. imaging. Yeah, you put people in inside the machine you can see what they're doing when they what presumably do you stress them out when they're in there so we actually specifically study the effects of the stress hormone cortisol yeah so on a in a healthy person you have cortisol in your system all the time um it you get it in pulses throughout the day which sort of vary as they peak towards the middle and dip towards the evening um and there's a condition where of 
where cortisol function is impaired. So people with Addison's disease actually don't produce their own cortisol. Um, their adrenal cortex just kind of shuts down um, in their late 20s, early so what, 30s. And what effect does that have on them? And actually, it's, it, it's really quite debilitating. A lot of these people very much struggle with... Um, disorders of uh, motivation so they they very much struggle to get up in the morning but then they also t struggle to sleep at night um, many people with Addison's disease um, struggle to keep their job and um, it re really is awful um, and a lot of our patients always say they feel like they they have a cloud over their mind and mm. when they actually get their cortisol back that cloud is lifted um, can, can you artificially inject it into the into so the we body. actually have a really um, exciting new treatment similar to what diabetic patients get where it's a subcutaneous infusion pump so it's a pump that just goes through the skin and it gives you back your cortisol in pulses throughout the day which is what mimics what happens in healthy people hmm. and so what we're trialing at the moment is exactly how that works if that works and hmm. if this improves the quality of life for those right. people so you could have a, a treatment there we're we always have to say, we, we, we like to say this on, on the programme, that, of course, it, it takes a long time to develop something that works in people, doesn't it? It really does. And, and often there are newspaper headlines that say, you know, cure found for this and cure found for that, which means... Uh, some experiment caused some animal cells to change in some way, which it may be ten years away from making that happen in a human being. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Hannah, you're you're a, a, a you're into the neuroscience of memory. You did specifically say we can't talk about your memory, <laughs> but my my memory lasts about oh, all of two minutes, <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as Andrew will attest. Uh, so I've, I've got I'm one of the most forgetful people in the world. Um, but um, you 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 look at memory in general, don't you? Yes, yeah, so I'm particularly interested in memory consolidation, which uh, is the process where memories are transformed into long-term storage from short-term storage. Yeah. And in that two minutes, you will have some of that action going on already. So um, I'd probably be quite interested in picking your brain, literally. <laughs> so um, I use... I, do, I really don't like the sound of that, but we'll see. <laughs> I use a similar technique to uh, Jamie. So Jamie uses fMRI to uh, study memory. Yeah. Uh, whereas I'm... Um, presenting actually next week there's a big uh, neuroscience festival in Birmingham both Jamie and I are going and I'm, I'm presenting a poster there on a study uh, that our research group um, is still working on uh, where we use uh, structural MRI so we measure the brain structure um, of the hippocampus which is the sort of um, memory center of the brain if you like and we know that this structure is intimately involved in uh, memory consolidation so with uh, structural MRI, we can measure not only the hippocampus, but the subfields that it consists of, and we can measure their shape and their uh, volume, and then contrast that to uh, people's memory performance. Yeah. Okay. And are, you, are you interested in long-term memory or short-term memory in particular, or memory across the board? So I'm interested in long-term memory, but mm. when we talk about uh, short-term memory in... Um, the science of memory, we actually mean the kind of memory that only can hold about seven to nine items. Mm. So anything that you can hold in your memory for more than a few seconds um, 
is actually a long-term memory. Right, okay. Uh, but I am particularly interested in memories that can be retained over periods uh, of time uh, requiring sleep. Right. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. But as you're talking, I, I, I'm remembering the Disney Pixar film, Inside Out. And uh, Have you seen it? Uh, I think I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really the good. one where they're yeah. in the brain. It, yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, is that, do you brain. know if that kind of is a good representation of what's happening in terms of our packing away of memories? I think it's actually quite a good film. Yeah. Um, I think just, just, just remind us of what... Very very quickly, what 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 the plot of it is? Um, it it's well, the, the what it or what it can, not the plot, but what, yeah. it, what what's going on? Well, essentially, it's uh, you're inside the brain of a uh, what's six, seven, eight year old girl um, going through, and then she goes through various stages of her life, and there are different um, characters who form different parts of the uh, personality mm. of of the so like jealousy, yeah, so there are anger, love, disgust, anger. Yeah, right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. joy. Yeah, and then in, actually inside the brain there are little creatures, I can't remember what they are, but the little creatures that sort of get the memories and then pop them in different parts of the brain. Right, I'm going to pop that in the long-term memory and then that in the short-term memory. Is that a good representation? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so they do this thing where they actually, they have these little things and they actually are in charge of memory consolidation and they run round and decide what goes in the bin and what doesn't. It's really funny because her... Um, childhood imaginary friend is lurking around in there somewhere and is not at the forefront of the memory but sort of has their own little bubble that they pop in and yeah. out of every now and then and as she gets older that memory fades away and is actually thrown away so I think what you're what you like you study sleep don't you so like it I think over you, the consolidation changes um after sleep like, you, you know more about that than I do, so... Yeah, so during sleep, um, sleep is very important for memory consolidation, so we know a lot of the processes that uh, support uh, memory retainment for longer periods of time happen during sleep. And there are actually um, some um, memories that are not just that made uh, made uh, more durable during sleep but actually made stronger so for example if you learn to uh, play the piano um, or do something that involves that kind of fine motor skill uh, sleep is really important and it can enhance that skill so it can you can actually be better at that in the morning when you wake up than you were at night when you went to bed wow so you're you're you're, you're actually that's amazing you're developing skill while you're you're asleep that's brilliant yeah so yeah. while we might feel like we're resting while while we're asleep the brain certainly isn't do you think I mean, i'm not implying you're an expert because we, we realize that you know lots of things take a lot of study so i'm not implying you're an expert in what i'm about to ask you but you know at one time there was a trend for people learning languages by having tapes played to them while they slept do you you ever come across this it was is you don't i don't see it very often now but it was was uh something going on what 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 would be your opinion of something like that um well <laughs> um you know now we have those phone apps that say that you can learn a language by just spending five minutes a day or a couple yeah. of minutes a day doing yeah. that that's probably more effective right uh, because that involves conscious effort conscious effort yeah. and um it involves reminding yourself of the language each day even though it's just a small period of time you'd spend on it um you're still actively thinking about it and reinforcing those memories um in terms of playing 
a language from a cassette while or a CD or a or an mp3 player yeah. um while you're asleep that's probably not going it's to probably unlikely to unlikely work. to yeah. help you yeah yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah sure is there any um is there sort of evidence that if you sleep more it gets better consolidated should we you know should i sleep 10 hours a day and mm. get really good at the piano um i'm not familiar with any studies that look at that but i would I'd be a little sceptical if, if I came across a study that suggests that that was the case. Okay. Well, I, listen, I don't be sceptical of this. It's, it's just about school kicking out time. So if you've just got in the car and your parents are driving you home, if you learn an in, a musical instrument and you're lying in bed tomorrow morning and they're trying to get you out of school for bed, just say, don't worry, Mum, I'm practising. <laughs> I'm practising in my sleep. Uh, I, I mean, it's, one, every parent knows that uh, or every parent of teenagers knows that uh, teenagers pretty much give up on sleep for a period of time don't they you know they're very often you know they they uh, are up really late at night but it's particularly to do with game playing and that and that kind of thing and then go to bed very late then have to get up early uh, the next day for school does st- so it's generally agreed there's a, a bit of an epidemic of sleep deprivation going on self-inflicted sleep deprivation is that bad for study and for for learning you know if if, if it's good to consolidate one it seems to in your sleep it seems to imply that not having much sleep actually harms that process yeah that's that's certainly the case so when people are sleep deprived they do, that does tend to cause some impairments in in memory consolidation. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure my dad's listening to this saying, "I told you so," <laughs> um, because he always said, you know, once you're when you're studying, the best thing to do is always take revision naps. And um, he's not done a PhD in in sleep research, and he knew that about yes. 20 years ago. So. Yes. Oh, well, and, 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 and I, I thought you were about to say that he was, he was going to say, I told you, that's why you'd never amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my dad's my biggest fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure so. Well, let's, uh, let, let's hear about the best day of your life then, American, uh, American authors.
You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM Radio. Indeed you are, and that was uh, American Authors, and uh, I'm joined by uh, three people, Jamie, Sharon and uh, Hannah, who are involved with Pint of Science here in Bristol, uh, which, as the name uh, suggests, might take p- place in a pub near you uh, in April, and we'll give the, uh, in May, and we'll give the, 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 the dates again uh, later on. Uh, why, why do you guys, I mean, I'm, this is not, I'm not sort of saying, why, why do you do this, you know, in some sort of accusatory way, but what is it that it drives you three to be involved in, in, in doing this? I mean, is it more than just a bit of fun? Is there something serious behind it? Well, science is really, really interesting, and we want everybody to know that. Um, you know, we want people who live live locally to understand what's happening at the university. You know, we don't want the university walls to be this big barrier between really useful and interesting information and um, people around Bristol. So that's kind of what motivates me. Like, I love it when I go to a wedding or a party and I say, I'm a neuroscientist, and everybody's like, oh, that's so cool. Like, tell me what yeah. you do. And I said, yes, thank you. I really want to tell you what I do Um, and that's what Pint of Science is all about Okay Good. And that goes for, the, for for you, Sharon, as well? And yeah, I think for a lot of people, after you leave school, you don't really do any sort of formal science and I think for a lot of people it becomes something that's almost... They think, oh, I, I wouldn't understand that. But actually, it's, you know, there's lots of interesting stuff going on and I think a lot of people that have come to the events in the past have like really enjoyed it and you know it's been a lot more understandable than they maybe imagined it would be yeah, yeah. and yeah it's just nice to to know what's going on in Bristol and what what is happening at the forefront of science at the moment and yeah I get, and I guess it adds a dimension to to people's lives doesn't it it yeah. sort of shows that you you can understand these things and you you don't have to be an expert in order to enjoy yeah exactly uh, some of the insights of science does that go for you uh, as well Hannah yeah and I also think there's an, another important point which uh, in um, in actually meeting and hearing from real scientists so when people study science at school they tend to learn a lot of facts um, so I think it, it's a general sort of uh, public awareness thing. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for people to learn about the scientific process and what actually goes into finding out about those facts. I mean, sort of particularly when we're living in this uh, post-truth era, <laughs> if you like. Uh, yeah. Lots um, of alternative facts floating around <laughs> yes. these days. Yeah, and when people yes. know where those real facts and alternative facts are coming from... Um, mm. Maybe, hopefully, they can evaluate on how much weight they should put on on things they read about yeah. on the internet a little bit more. I, I prefer the old-fashioned term for alternative facts, which is lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, if you can, can I just check if, if, if you want to know about physics, who would you go to? A physicist. All oh, right, and chemistry. Uh, I think I know where this is yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Chemist. Okay. And then climate science—that would be a politician. Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Or, or or somebody who owns an oil company. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not a Probably. climate scientist. Probably. <laughs> well, look. Um, I, I I love what you were saying about about science. Then, of course, uh, we we share the fact that uh, we find science absolutely fascinating, and uh, so that's why we look at stories in the news and behind the news. Um, and uh, one of the stories I I, I picked. Up, well, it's been picked up by several uh, people, but uh, I, I was particularly looking at a story that uh, John uh, Amos wrote uh, in the, uh, on the BBC website uh, about apparently Mars's air. We now n- know pretty 
pretty, we're pretty sure that Mars used to have an atmosphere just like us, maybe one or two atmospheres. Um, when you say atmospheres, they're measured yeah. by Earth's atmosphere. And yes. if you've got an atmosphere like ours, that's known as one atmosphere. Yeah. And uh, if it's twice that, it's two. And they, th they thought that in the past, and we're talking... Um, uh, a few, uh, well, I think more than a billion years ago, uh, mm. Mars would have had an atmosphere uh, of one or two yeah. atmoses. Yeah, it's a fascinating piece of work. It's being done by uh, the people behind the Mars uh, Maven uh, mission, which is a, a satellite that's going around Mars at the moment, yeah. measuring the atmosphere. Yeah, we don't know so much about Maven, do we? I don't, I'm not quite sure why. Curiosity, that yeah. was big, big news, the rover going around on the, on the planet. But yeah. Maven has, has been busy uh, orbiting yeah. Mars for yeah, a I, while. I guess people just are more interested in robots roving around yeah. on, on a planet. Yeah, than that makes sense. Robots yeah. flying around the planet. I don't know why, yeah. but, they, but I guess they are. Uh, but w w one of the, um, the problems with the climate modelling of Mars is that, um, speaking of climate science, uh, the, one of the problems with the, the climate modelling of Mars is that the models that we've had, we've not known the amount of carbon dioxide that there was. So the, the climate models have suggested that the water on Mars would be um, more ice than running water. But the yeah. geology of Mars suggests that there's running water. Yeah. There was running water, not yeah. there's running water. There was running water on Mars. Yeah. So there's been this... this so a lot, disagreement of, between geology and climate science. Yeah, because, because there are feet, they've got valleys uh, which, yeah. which appear to have been cut by water. Yeah, yeah, just, absolutely. Just like got, your, there's stones. I, 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 you know, I was watching Stargazing live on CBeebies with my uh, with my daughter. They had a brilliant picture from Mars of round pebbles. And right. you get round pebbles because the pebbles are knocked against each other in yeah. running water as they travel around yeah, yeah. down a river. So, yeah. of course, there's running water. So, so there's something wrong with the climate models of, of Mars, and that is that we didn't know what the, uh, what the atmosphere was like. What, Ma what Maven is telling us is that there was, as you say, a, an atmosphere like Earth's or perhaps more dense than Earth's, uh, yeah. Earth's actually, which would mean that the heat on, the, on, the, on Mars would be sufficient to make that ice into running water. Yeah, and it would have been protected as, as well by this yeah. layer of gas, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Mm. But, what, but that gas has been stripped away by solar winds. So, so two questions, okay. then. I, I pitched you. I mean, I, I read the story too, but I mean, I think you might understand this better than, 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 than I I would do. have thought so, yeah. <laughs> Um, for first question is why did do we know do we have any idea why that atmosphere drifted away? I mean, could it happen to us? Is the is the question? Um, it probably wouldn't happen to us at the moment unless I don't know if you've seen the not documentary film The Core, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, in that our the core of our planet stops turning, and what that means is that the magnetosphere, which is uh, <laughs> essentially a magnetic field that protects us from the solar winds. Right. It, so, so it's I, caused by the core of our planet. Yeah. Mars doesn't oh. have a magnetosphere, at least doesn't have one as strong as ours, or any more, and the loss of that magnetosphere, I don't know how that happened, is a big contributing factor to how it lost its atmosphere, because the solar winds are battering our planet. We see that uh, in the form of the northern lights. The yeah, yeah. Um, that is the result of the charged particles coming from the sun hitting our uh, atmosphere, being thrown round to the poles, interacting with uh, particles at the top of our atmosphere, 
and exciting them, and we see that as light, really. In this and when, just for the sake of completion here, when you talk about the core of our planet, there's, there's a great big lump of iron, yes. mostly molten iron, yeah. spinning around inside, which, which acts like a magnet, really, and cr- creates this magnetosphere around the planet. Yes, it does. And that, that tends to hold the atmosphere, is that that's what that, you're saying? Essentially, yes. But what Maven is doing is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your second question here, Mark. Yeah, yeah. But what Maven is doing is measuring the argon in the atmosphere. Right. Of Mars. And that doesn't actually tell you much about the climate in itself, but the argon is a, a particularly useful um, molecule, uh, gas, because it, it, it doesn't react with anything. Mm. So when, uh, when it's stripped away, it, when we, sorry, when you measure it, you can tell a lot more about the process because the only way it gets removed from Mars is because it's stripped away by the solar winds. It's not reacting with something else and becoming something else. Right. And so it's like an indicator. Yeah, you, you, exactly. You, you can use... I think it's they, there's two kinds of isotopes, aren't there? There are. There are heavy ones and light ones. And light ones. Guess which ones get stripped away more uh, by the solar winds. Would it be the light ones? That would be right. Oh. And that's the same thing that would happen to carbon dioxide, and you can infer from the argon what, how many heavy elements are left compared to the light elements and infer that back to the carbon dioxide, and that tells us about the, the atmosphere on Mars. And, and just before we... Just before we leave this story Mars didn't have when we say it had an atmosphere of, the, of a similar consistency to ours yeah. actually it, it wasn't made of the same stuff as ours, it was, it was probably uh, very dense on carbon dioxide Whereas we, you know, we have far more nitrogen and oxygen than we do yeah. carbon dioxide at the, mo- yeah, <laughs> at the yeah. moment. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, currently. Let's yes, see how currently. that goes. We'll ask a politician; they'll be able to tell yeah. us. Yeah, but that's true, isn't it? I think that's what I think that's what the article said. That, yes, yeah, uh, yeah that, absolutely. That uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I um, am busy looking for my next story, which is we're going to jump from space back to uh, Earth and uh, to a, a happy little disease that you might get if you start wandering through um, uh, bushes and things like that, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, through ferns and all that kind of stuff, wandering in the country. Your dog can get it, and you can get it, and that's we're being bitten by ticks, and they give you Lyme disease. And I know you got you, you got Jamie and, and uh, Sharon and Hannah were saying the this is one of your favourite topics of the week. I dread to think why. Have you all had Lyme disease? Or <laughs> is that the idea? Thankfully not. Uh, but we don't we don't have a, the story is is not a good one actually. We we um, uh, Lyme disease is set to explode apparently. In other words, we're going to have a, an awful lot more of it. But we don't have a vaccine. So did you have a look at this story? We did. Um, So it's that... So apparently there's a scientist who um, studies Lyme disease and he was in a real fluster because he saw lots of, I think it was acorns around a park in New York and apparently like that's a symbol of the population of mice and mice are the carriers of Lyme disease Ah. and it's the ticks that get it from the mice and then when a tick bites you that is processed um, on your on the surface of your skin, and so if you get the tick off within the first thirty six hours, <coughs> you'll be fine. Mm. Um, apparently, you, you're very unlikely to get Lyme disease if that's the case. But if the tick is on long longer than thirty six hours, actually, you can very seriously contract Lyme disease and need to see a doctor very very soon after that. 
Oh, that's very interesting. So, so if you've been for a walk in the country, a quick tick check is always in order. <coughs> what did what did tick? I have no. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not suggesting you guys are experts in ticks, but what do they look like? Little dots or something? I, ma- I imagine they just look like dots. They're just like nasty little insects. You know, they, <laughs> they, they just and um, they look a bit like head lice to me. Um, you know, when you're little and you're told about he- head lice in school, and they look a bit like that to me. And apparently, they do actually like the same kind of areas. They like the scalp, and I think they like. The underarms um, as well. They like right. So that's where they hide it. They hide away. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you should always. I think the recommendation in the story was um, do a tick check with a partner. Yes. <laughs> you should find someone a you know. To someone you know and like. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it now. Live on my arm. Comfortable. Yes. <laughs> Quick tick check. Because they're quite hard to find on your mm. own because they are so small. So. What I, what I do know about Lyme disease is is that um, I, I don't think this always happens, but 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 you often have happens is that you have like a bullseye um shaped uh rash rash, that's that's the word i'm looking for Uh, and it looks like a bullseye with sort of different grades of of of, of circle circles uh and and uh, that's uh, um, a very characteristic sign that you've got lyme disease and and i think as far as i know it makes you very sleepy and uh uh, so on, but it can be very serious, can't it? People, I mean, it's, it's more than just making you feel a bit under the weather. It, uh, it, you know, it can do worse. Yeah, it can cause inflammation in your spinal cord and in your brain, and it can cause some uh, serious joint pain and arthritis. So it can certainly be quite, quite devastating. And uh, as you were talking about the vaccine, that was one of the alleged side effects of the... So there is currently, if you want to vaccinate your dog, you can vaccinate your dog against Lyme disease. But uh, there is no vaccination available for humans. Oh, right. Um, But there used to be. Um, In 1998, FDA in America Mm. approved of a vaccine. This was covered in the story. Um, And... The vaccine was on the market for four years before the um, company that released it uh, withdrew it um, as an end result of a class action lawsuit against them. So there was um, there was some um, speculation that perhaps the vaccine caused uh, arthritis. And um, where, where this uh, speculation came from was... Um, that arthritis, it's a, it's a very common uh, common disease. And um, a number of people who got this vaccine developed arthritis. So then they started, it's an unfair disease. You get it and um, you're in pain, you have joint pain, and, um, and you want to find some sort of a cause for it. So, of course, you find someone else who also has this, and you know this, this guy got the got the Lyme disease vaccine about the same time as I did. Uh, right. So people started seeing these sort of causal links. Yeah. So even though later uh, it was shown with um, in, in vigorous research that the vaccine was not the cause for the arthritis, um, the vaccine got so much bad publicity. Um, there was a, was a class action lawsuit and uh, which was settled. And... Um, and the company that produced the vaccine uh, dropped it off the market, and it's not been on the market since. And this was in 2002. And, yeah, so um, we don't now have one for humans. And it was around yeah. the time there was a lot of controversy around vaccines anyway. Yeah. And people started to say, well, we all know the famous... Um, 
uh, your um, vaccinations cause autism. Um, they lie. Don't, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. as it is not an alternative fact and da- an outright yeah. lie. Um, and because of that, people started to develop funny ideas, and um, it's actually all anecdotal. Yeah. You know, there was literally no scientific evidence it, for the vaccine causing the arthritis. It's frighteningly popular. Uh, that idea, isn't it? The vaccines are a bad idea. Mm. Um, but they're uh, not. Of course not. <laughs> the no. sad thing is that this was so many years ago now and it's been widely disproved. Yeah. There's no link between yeah. the MMR and autism. No. But still people are wary. Exactly so, and it sticks. And, of course, there's this thing called herd immunity, isn't there, that uh, you need to... Well, you'd know, you'd know uh, a lot more about this, Sharon, because of your... You're the biologist amongst us, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, the, the danger is that, that uh, diseases that we thought we defeated yep. can come back exactly. because they can get a foothold in the community because people are not immune yes, to exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it. John Ford's actually come into the studio. He's I was sitting actually here last yeah. week and you weren't. I know, I know. <laughs> and that worries me, I have to tell you. It didn't worry us, did it? Well, I mean, John, I'm sure you've got something to... Uh, yes. uh, to say that we, yes. we you know, we've, fa- we've failed and fallen down again, haven't you we? Failed this week, to we to say that yeah. this day, this very day, the 3rd of April, uh, back in 1882, uh, the very first alarm clock was invented. It was a woodblock alarm invented. Um, when the alarm rang, it dropped 20 wooden blocks to wake you up. <laughs> I'm not sure where. Did it drop them uh, on your head? Or? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. I mean, a terrible idea from the start. The alarm clock. Yes, I, I do know people though for whom that would be the only uh, sort of effective. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, re- this day in 1965 was the, the first atomic-powered spacecraft. Snap was launched. Do you know this think, this thing? Of course, I know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was Snap? What was it? Um, it was the first atomic. Powered spacecraft. <laughs> I would have thought launching atomic-powered spacecraft, though, would be really dangerous, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, it's dangerous enough anyway, but to put some kind of nuclear reactor into yeah. space is ter- terrifying. Uh, a year later, 66, the, the Soviet Luna 10 completed its first orbit of the moon. Uh, yeah, oh. Today. That was the first lunar satellite, the first thing to go around the moon. You see... Um, Andrew's just purring away now because you've just brought up all this spacey stuff. He's going to purr even further, or roar, because this day in 1968 was the first showing in the US of uh, Planet of the Apes. Now, I love my sci-fi as well, so, do yeah. you, so you know. That sounds to me like tonight yeah. is the perfect example uh, for, uh, for everybody to do an entire watching of the entire... Box set. Box set of Planet of the Apes films. Uh, the new yeah. films are brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're fantastic. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Well, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to... Ha- it's time to go. To I'm going to have to say... No, no, we'll, we'll continue uh, uh, on the first hour of the next show. Don't <laughs> forget to carry on listening to John Ford after the, the news with Getting Bristol Home. I want to say a big thanks to uh, Jamie Thackra, uh, Sharon Hook, and uh, Hannah Istalus uh, for uh, uh, joining us. And uh, don't forget about Pint of Science, which is when? The 15th to the 17th of May, and tickets are on sale now. Fantastic. You heard it here. Have yourselves a very good evening. 